comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. together from remote galaxies are some of the most sinister podcasters of all time the long box of doom dedicated to a single objective the conquest of the comic book universe hey everyone and welcome to the long box of doom episode 266 the seventh annual, that's right, seventh annual duty awards. The duties. Yes, the duties. This is Russ, and we got a full slate tonight. So we've got Johnny M, we've got Jim, we've got Jordan, and we've got Richard. Hello. And Russ. And and myself, yes. Uh everybody's tuxes pressed, champagne poured. I'm just glad I'm not the only one who dressed this year, because last year, I mean, you guys were all sporting those tuxedo t shirts. That's not that's not cutting, man. I mean, come on, I mean, aren't you glad we dressed up for this this year? Not really. I'm pretty sure Richard isn't wearing pants. Well, <laughs> actually, we'll this is the, the one time I am wearing pants when I'm recording on here, so because it's cold. Just picture us all uh, as the Reservoir Dogs. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, so a lot of awards uh, to give out and. Uh, as always, we'll do our lightning round at the end where we just kind of get to have a little bit of fun and rip off on on some stuff uh, and uh, and then make some predictions as well as look back at the previous year's predictions and see if uh, how good or not we were at predicting. So without further ado, I will hand it off to Mr. Dietz to get us going on the comic category. Okay, we're going to start off with our comics. We have a lot of comics categories, so uh, let's get going here. Uh, we got Best Ongoing uh, Series is the first category we have. We had a lot of really good nominations for this one, including um, uh, Five Ghosts, which was a great, great comic. Uh, uh, John, do you want to talk about that for a minute? I mean, I really enjoyed that comic, too, but it didn't make my list. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just really cool. It's um, It feels like it's from the 70s. Um, it's a mix of, like, Indiana Jones and a horror uh, supernatural comic. Uh, basically, there's this adventurer who has five ghosts that are, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Possessing him. Lo- they're haunting yes, him. Yes, thank yeah. you. They're they're haunting him. They're possessing him. And like one's a samurai, and one's a detective, and one is a vampire. Uh, so when he needs those skills, uh, that ghost sort of takes over, so he can fight with the sword, or he can turn into bats, or he can. Uh, be a great detective when it's needed. And it was supposed to be a miniseries, and it did so well uh, that it has continued on as an ongoing with Image, and uh, it's really good. I've enjoyed it from the beginning. And I really dig the retro feel. It looks like like an old Gold Key comic or something, you know, from the 70s. It's got, like, the, the art and the uh, like even the typography and stuff is really cool because it's an awesome look. Uh, another uh, comic that a lot of us had on our lists uh, but didn't quite make didn't quite make the grade is New Avengers. Um, and I guess we could talk about Avengers as well, because they're kind of tied into one another with Jonathan Hickman and his magnum opus, working his way toward the big secret war thing going on in 2015. Jordan, preach for me about New Avengers. I know you're as big a fan of this as any of us. 
Oh, it's an absolutely wonderful series. My favorite thing about it is that Jonathan Hickman, who's writing it, has taken your the smartest Marvel heroes in the main universe, the 616 universe, and he's put them up against an impossible problem. And he's stayed true to the characters. He's made them do terrible things. He's made them do great things, but always sticking true to these characters as they've been written for the most part for the for the last you know sixty years, and just forcing them to make terrible decisions. And he hasn't made them out to be good guys. He hasn't made them out to be bad guys. He's just put it on the page and put them doing these things. And it's up to you to decide: Are these super smart heroes correct in what they're doing, or are they terrible, evil people for doing it? Are they right? Is Cap right? Is no one? right and I love that every issue or two he gives you something new from a new perspective and you have to look at it all again from a brand new direction and uh, it's kept me on my toes it's both Avengers and New Avengers this year particularly the last few months since the time jump has just been full of one awesome moment after the next it's, it's his Fantastic Four run all over again yeah it's it's interesting to me because um, as we've been saying all along uh, going through the Fantastic Four books we talked about and talked about Hickman through Infinity it's you know it's all part of a much bigger story with him, and this just seems like he's he's getting ready for the big climax. I guess it'll be Secret War. I really like what he's been doing with the idea of the different multiverses crashing into one another and that kind of thing. That seems to be a recurring theme this year, especially I mean even in our number one book, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, also on a lot of lists this year, uh, Lazarus. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about that, Rich? Yeah, Lazarus um, has been something that I've enjoyed from the the, the get go. On on the old podcast I was on Nerd Herd, I uh, I, I got to know uh, Michael Lark. Um, he came on several times, lived right near me, and uh, as he him and Rucka were gearing up for this, he would tell me more and more about it. And the more he told me, the more I just got excited for it. And I mean, basically, it's a you know a, a dystopian future. Um, the difference between this and and some of what you've seen in the past with dystopian features is uh, instead of having different um, countries uh, or races of people that actually um, fight it out or take over territories, it's ran by by the most powerful families. So, like, if it were to happen today, you'd probably have, like, the Hiltons and, and the Trumps and so forth and so on, and they just have the different uh, regions. They've split up the world. And uh, each one has a protector or a champion uh, as part of their family, and that that's called the Lazarus, which is kind of a not cyborg, not bionic woman, but just an enhanced... Uh, a super soldier. Super, yeah, that's the best way to put it, a super soldier. And... Um, we're following the Lazarus of the Carlisle family, and her name is Forever. And uh, I'll just kind of leave it at that because I don't want to get into anything spoilery. But it's been really, really good. And uh, you know, Rucka, I really enjoy his writing. And then you know, I I've never seen anything that Michael Lark's done that I haven't enjoyed. So his art is just really amazing. So it's if you haven't checked it out, it's a, it's a good comic. Sweet. Well, I know we had a lot of really other excellent nominees this year. Um, we had Low, um, the we had uh, Justice League United uh, by Jeff Lemire. Uh, the Superior Foes of Spider Man uh, was was among our, our choices. But um, coming in at number two this year was our number one choice from last year, uh, Brian K. Vaughn's Saga. And uh, I'll just speak to that real quick. I just I think it's a, just a really well realized world and a really great story. I really love the characters. 
Um, I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm a new parent myself. I have a little more empathy than other people may have with the main characters in the story. But um, I, I, I love Fiona Staples' art on it. I just think it's a good fit. And it's just a really well-established universe. It doesn't hit you over the head with a lot of stuff all at once. It just kind of lets you learn as uh, you know about the way things are in that story and the way things are in that universe as it goes along. Um, a great comic, uh, nonetheless. But not our number one this year. And our number one this year, it missed my five just by, by inches because I love it. I love this book a lot. Um, Black Science by um, uh, Rick Remender and Mateo Scalera. It's Remender doing what I love Remender doing best, what he did in Fear Agent, what he did in End League. It's like sliders on crack. Uh, Russ, it was your yeah. number one book this year. Tell us why. Yeah, yeah. John and I both had it as our uh, number ones this year. Uh, for me, it was just that one book that um, I fell behind but a little bit. But when I dove into it, it was just the one book that just captivated me like none other. Uh, the art, more so, I think, for the art than the writing. Uh, and and even the art, uh, as as much props as we gave to Scalera, uh, Dean White's coloring. I, I guess he actually did painted colors on top of the art uh, for Black Science, and it just it just has a really cool aesthetic. Uh, and the writing, I think I think it's some of Remender's best writing that he's ever done. I mean, I've I've I was a big fan of his Uncanny X Force uh, run, and and even his Uncanny Avengers. Once I got past the uh, the art on the on the first arc from uh, Cassidy, uh, it, it was solid. But I, I just I like it, like you said, uh, Jim. You, you know, sliders on crack. I mean, it's just they're going to these dimensions with these crazy creatures, and you're trying to fill in backstory at the same time. And uh, you know, there's there's multiple versions of character of of characters that are floating around as well. There's there's a crazy shaman that doesn't speak a whole lot uh, that's in there. Uh, it's, it's just really, really well done. Like I said, it's just, it's just one of those books that, um, if, if they, if they end up doing a, you know, oversized hardcover treatment for this, I'm definitely on board with that because I, I think the, having that art, uh, in the larger format would be fantastic. Uh, especially since I've been reading it digitally, uh, Comixology has been really good about keeping, uh, the, the Hickman Remender stuff. For image uh, relatively cheap and they do a lot of 99 cent sales up until the most current issue so i've been able to stay relatively uh on top of it uh for a reasonable price well as russ said it was uh his and um john's number one choice uh for book of the year and uh the the mateo scalera just it reminds me of like uh richard corbin or bernie wrightson like kind of that more illustrative style yeah so so good um, so if I, John, did you want to weigh in on black science as well? That was your number one pick. Yeah. I mean, I, I echo everything that Russ, uh, has said. It's that remender style that, you know, I'm in for. And of course the art is great too, but I, I love his, you know, time travel universe hopping stories. I'm a, I'm a sucker for all of that stuff. And it's so smart. Every, every reveal, it, it leaves you scratching your head in, in a good way. You know, like he, the way he plans things out and brings it back is just amazing to me. I, I love the book. Yeah, it is, it is a great book, and, and like I said, I, I, I didn't really care so much for Remender's uh, Captain America run, or, or some of his stuff on Uncanny Avengers, but I really liked Fear Agent a lot, and I really liked uh, uh, End League, and I really liked this too. So, uh, as you know, Black Science, our number one ongoing uh, series for for twenty fourteen. Next category, best single issue. 
we have a lot of really good uh, nominees in this uh, this area. Um, I'd, I'd like to throw up one of my my nominees if I can, real quick. Um, Ed Pisker put out uh, a hip hop family tree, uh, Ash Can edition. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember the '90s when Wizard or Hero Illustrated or whatever would have the little Ash Can comics they would stick inside their poly bag. Sure. Um, they usually, oh, yeah. you know, they'd usually have like a foil cover or whatever. Um, they'd be a smaller size on you know, slicker paper, kind of like a preview comic stuck in your Wizard or, or your Hero Illustrated magazine or whatever. Uh, Ed recreated this with a, a gold foil cover with um, like really like Rob Liefeld style art all about the friendship between Rob Liefeld and Eazy-E, uh, the rapper. I guess they, they did know each other and they hung out and they were fans of each other. And uh, he wrote the, the story as part of an ash can. It was a limited edition that came out this year. And uh, it was just hilarious and, and cool all at once. Uh, I just really thought, you know, my thought of, you know, first, uh, you know, single issues, uh, that was the one I thought of um, immediately. Um, John, you want to talk about the Valiant number one? That was your choice. One of your one of your choices, by the way. Yeah, the the Valiant number one. Um, Valiant comics have been really cool. We've we've talked about it. Oh, you guys have talked about it a bunch on on various shows. Um, I fell behind all of the Valiant titles that I was reading. The Valiant number one comes out, and it's this event that they have going on, and I reluctantly started to read it because I was wondering whether I was going to be able to follow with having fell behind. A bunch of the titles, like I said, and I had also never read like any Archer and Armstrong. I, I wasn't up to date on on any of the stuff. Perfect jumping on point for the Valiant universe. They found a way to tie in all of the characters so they have something meaningful and a real reason to be in an event, which I think is a problem that you know Marvel and DC suffer from all the time. Like they're just throwing these characters in for like no reason. With their crossovers and and what and what have you, uh, the Valiant number one makes it all come together. Quick little backstories for each character they're bringing in, and it worked really well. And I'm totally in for the event without any plans of like catching up on all of the other books until I can. So I definitely recommend the Valiant number one. I know they've they've been doing just quality stuff, and and they really. Like you said, you know, the the big the big two a lot of times they just throw characters in and out of whatever. They really have been just like building a universe, you know, layer by layer, bit by bit. And I really appreciate they've kind of relaunched a lot of these new number ones and bringing new readers like you and kind of catch people up because, um, you know, they really I'm, I'm, I'm really makes me sad that these books are kind of overlooked by a lot of people because they're really really good comics. Um. Let's see. We have a, a we also have the Scratch and Sniff Harley Quinn Annual. <laughs> which I was unaware of until uh, Rich nominated it as number one. Um, but Rich, I wanted to talk to you real quick, because I read it too, about one of the choices on your list for the um, best single issue, the Cartoon Network Super Secret War number one. Yeah, I I, I really wasn't, um, this wasn't really on my radar, and uh, a buddy of mine, his son, was reading it and told me that, uh, you know, I should check it out, and just the the coming together of all the different um uh properties that that are on cartoon network and just that are spread amongst the different comics it 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 was just fun it was i i don't know that it, i would call it like quality comic book but i would definitely say i had a lot of fun reading it it was super fun it had a lot of really funny like in jokes and shout outs 
you know, like references to like Crisis on Infinite Earths and Secret Wars and things like that. It was a lot of, it was definitely a lot of fun. Uh, Jordan's number one pick was New Avengers Annual number one, and he has already expounded about his love for that, uh, for, for that title. But, um, Although I will say this issue is a bit different in that it has really nothing to do with the overall New Avengers story. It's just kind of a primer on Doctor Strange for anyone who, like me, knows Doctor Strange but doesn't really know a lot about him. And the art in particular on that annual, if you get a chance to flip through it, is just mind-bendingly gorgeous. It's like Jock met Steranko met just a whole pound of acid. And it's gorgeous. Jock met Steranko with a whole pound of acid. It oh, sounds yeah. like a, a cover quote, if there ever was one. <laughs> but our number one uh, single issue for 2014 was Electra number one. Uh, chosen uh, as number two by John and uh, number four by me and number one by Russ. So, Russ, lay it on me. Was it the art that got you? It's... it's um... Michael Del Mundo that did the art and the story by W. Hayden Blackman. And if if any of you followed uh, W. Hayden Blackman's work as the writer on Batwoman, uh, it had a very similar uh, aesthetic with Elektra. Uh, you know, a lot of double page splashes that actually tell a story, not just double page splashes of um, you know a single scene. It it it's double page, a double page splash where the you know the 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 story moves through the splashes. So you know, given that I've seen um, Blackman do this in in previous work, I mean, I attribute a lot of that design aesthetic to him as opposed to Del Mundo. Um, and this was just one of those issues that when I read it at the time, I was like, oh, this is this is my issue, you know, of the year. It it has to be because it it was just gorgeous i mean it's just picking up this issue and and reading it from from back to front or from front to back and then literally i think i read it two times in a row which i rarely rarely ever do um but it was just so awesome to look at um and and it just had a really cool story it just really if you're familiar with electra or not so familiar with electra it it did a really good job of being a first issue and hooking you in telling you what you needed to know about electra um, and then just kind of telling you something new. You know, this wasn't just um, a typical hand story or a typical assassination story. Um, it it really kind of brought you into this crazy uh, this crazy world of of Monster Island, um, and then it kind of went from there. I, I wouldn't say this is my favorite title. You know, I, I didn't have it listed on my top five ongoings, um, but just this this single issue grabbed me. Uh, like no other issue this year grabbed me. Awesome. So let's move on to uh, best mini arc or event. And there were a lot this uh, this year to choose from. Um, John, I'm really interested to hear about this because I haven't gotten to check it out yet. Your number one choice was Ragnarok by Walt Simonson. Yeah, uh, written and, and drawn by Walt Simonson. Um, it's a bi-monthly comic. So uh, the issues are sort of few and far between, but it's just, you know, Norse mythology by Walt Simonson, you know, serpents and gods and hammers and, 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 you know, frost giants, all of that great stuff 
rolled into one and the art is just fantastic um and the story is really cool vikings are kind of a thing that i think vikings are like the new vampires or the new werewolves or like i think it came back around to vikings at some point um the hot thing to write about um but this is really good stuff and everybody knows you know wolf simonson's history with like the thor book and stuff like that um and it, it you know it all shines here it, it's great i can't wait like Russ had said earlier about Black Science, I can't wait until this is collected into, you know, some giant form. I think it's going to be six issues total, um, so it's going to take a while to roll the whole thing out, but definitely worth checking out. That's awesome. We've, I mean, IDW has put out a lot of other Simons and stuff. I mean, they just put out that Simons and Manhunter, and they put out Simons and Thor, so... And there's a chance they might do an artist edition. That would be pretty sweet. I love his art. He, yeah, yeah. He doesn't sell his art, so he keeps all his art. Um, so there's a good chance that if they do decide to do an artist edition, it'll be easy to do just because he retains ownership of all his stuff. That's sweet. That's awesome. His art is so incredible too. They actually had not to, not to detract too much on this, but going all the way back to when we were at super show in 2008, um, he had started working on it back then. I remember he had pages of this book, uh, that he had in his little portfolio thing of like stuff he was working on, but really couldn't talk too much about. Um, so that was Ragnarok. So all the way back, you know, going on almost six years now, he was, uh, you know, he was, he was doing stuff on this book. That's awesome. Um, we also, we had a lot of other nominees for best minion arc. We had, um, amazing Spider-Man learning to crawl. Um, uh, we had, uh, I, I nominated Starlight by Mark Miller. Really great, uh, kind of overlooked, uh, uh, Mark Miller book. Um, Tell us, uh, we, you know, we also had, uh, Original Sin nominated by a couple people and not nominated by others. Uh, kind of a mixed, I don't know, it seems to be kind of a mixed opinion on that. Um, uh, but our top three for, uh, for, um, for, uh, 2014, uh, number, uh, our third place is the X Months Later books in uh, The Avengers. Russ, uh, do you want to speak a little bit about them? Yeah. I mean, this is pretty much everything Jordan you know jordan and i but probably jordan's been singing its praises a lot louder (laughs) than i have um but this is the hickman you know opus of the avengers this is the latest uh leg of that arc and uh it's it's you know the books jumped ahead eight months after the end of original sin and uh it's just been out of this world i mean it's it's uh it it, you know the the hickman avenger i think you know hickman avengers is just going to go down and uh you know as as if not the greatest run then you know pretty pretty damn close to the top and um you know this whole x months later thing uh, where it started with 8 months and it's and it's counting down until we get to secret war um but it's it, it he's just doing some really crazy stuff and you know it's hard to talk about it in too much detail without being too being too spoilery um but it's it's just really been you know fantastic the time jump has really given him the freedom to do things you never thought you'd see in the mainstream Marvel continuity and do it in a really cool way where you can still have your axis and, you know, whatever other things are going on in the Marvel Universe. But here's the future of the Marvel Universe and things got crazy. And and it's just been really fun. Every issue, every page almost has just been you flip it and something new happens where you went, oh, my gosh, that's a thing now. That's awesome. Sweet. Well, that was our, our third place. Our second place choice was the uh, the the uh, latest arc in the Walking Dead All Out War, 
Uh, Rich, you want to tell us why that was your number one choice? Well, it's interesting because before All Out War happened, and really just before issue 100, I guess, going back that far, I felt like Kirkman's writing got a little stale on on the book. It just kind of seemed there. It wasn't bad, it wasn't good, or any of that. Then he introduces the character of Negan, and issue 100 happens, and it just starts building to something, and you can tell something really good is coming, and then we get the all-out war arc this year. Um, it's 12 issues. It was the one time where, instead of being a monthly comic, it went bi-weekly, and it it's probably my favorite story arc in the Walking Dead comic series since, since really, since The Governor. Um, Negan has been a... He, he makes the governor look like a kitten. Um, just the whole uh, dynamic between all the different groups that live in that area and the trade and how Negan, what he has done to the different groups, uh, it's, it's just very interesting. And then when we get to the war, um, I don't know, everything about it was satisfying. E- even the ending, at first I wasn't very satisfied with Negan's fate, um, but now as we go into the issues beyond all out war, um, I'm kind of digging it. So that, that's really the thing, isn't it? I mean, the new status quo that has been left in the wake of all out war has been just, if at least for me, just as satisfying as the arc itself, which has made I the agree. arc itself even that much better. Like the new world that they're in right now is just so interesting and such a different twist on everything that's come before. I'm loving it. And I agree with Rich. It wasn't. It was time for a shakeup and a major change, and this did not disappoint at all. That's why it made my list too. Um, but our number one choice for best mini arc or event this year, and again, we're talking you know, earlier. You know, alternate timelines and and things, alternate universes seem to be a huge thing. I mean, my number one choice is Multiversity by Morrison, and that again about alter, alternate timelines or whatever. But number one, Spider Verse. Uh, and Jordan, this was your number one pick. And it is our overall number one for best mini and arc. You are the number one Spider fan, so who is <laughs> Well, I don't know. Rich, Rich might fight me over that one. I don't well, know. Well, you're the friendly but, neighborhood uh... <laughs> Spider fan. How about that? And he can be the spectacular Spider fan. There we go. Yeah, that works. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been very fun. You know, it, it's funny. I put this just slightly ahead in my own mind of, of uh, you know, Hickman's thing, which is, is very similar. And I'd say Hickman's epic is, is tighter and overall a better book. But... Spider-Verse has just been so fun. It's basically, it's every Spider-Man ever was the tagline when they first announced this, and that's pretty much what it's been. Every version of Spider-Man you could ever, uh, you've ever seen in any book or any cartoon or every movie, minus like three that they can't legally use, has been in there. It's a a group of extra-dimensional vampires, basically, who hunt hunt, uh, spider-powered individuals, and so all the spider-powered individuals from every timeline, every universe... Um, everything everywhere have teamed up to fight them. So you can have, you know, Spider-Man and his amazing friend Spider-Man. You can have the old hostess ad Spider-Man. You can have, you know, the... Uh, the Japanese the Spider-Man with his giant robot. Yeah, or the uh, the Mangaverse Spider-Man, or the, the uh, newspaper comic strip Spider-Man, and Superior Spider-Man in 2099, and new ones they created just for this. And while its start was a little bit shaky and, and confusing only because when you have a hundred different spider characters on a page, keeping them straight can be daunting, 
its spin-offs have been fun, its main series has been fun, and really I'm just enjoying it. It's one of the first books I read every week or when a new issue comes out. Is it as tight or as epic or as grand as Hickman's book? No, but it's a ton of fun, and it really just shows Slot's love of Spider-Man and the other writers who have been writing the tie-in books their love of Spider-Man as well. Russ, this is pretty high on your list, too. Do you echo his sentiments, or did you like it for different reasons? No, absolutely. I mean, it, it's it's just a lot of fun. It's just, you know, they found a way to make the spider totem thing uh, interesting. And it's just, I you know, again, sucker for alternate universes, uh, sucker for alternate timelines, uh, and to smart to have a smart way to pull all these different Spider-Men, Spider-Women, um, Spider Gwen, you know all this. Yeah, crazy they found stuff. a way to bring Gwen back without making every comic book reader in the world furious at them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's an accomplishment right there. I, yeah, dude, I really like that scene where she met Peter too in in the other timeline, and they explained to each other they weren't able to. You know, she says she wasn't able to save Peter, and he says he wasn't able to save her. That was that was a nice scene. Yeah. But yeah, it's just it's it's pretty outstanding. It, it, for me, it was neck and neck. It was very a tough call for me. Um, you know, as, as much love as, uh, you know, I, we give to Marvel, you know, I, I think, you know, maybe we're, we're tint, tinted with the Marvel, uh, lens a little bit, but Future's End was, was my number one. And, and this is a very tough, uh, neck and neck for me on, on both, on both fronts. This is probably one of my toughest choices too, because I picked Multiversity for my number one. Which is um, it's pretty controversial. Not everybody liked it, but I, I really liked what he did there with the, the alternate wor- uh, worlds and timelines. So, and I, I like Spider Verse as well. So, again, it was a, it was a good year for uh, you know alternate alternate histories, alternate timelines, and uh, alternate worlds um, all around. Our next category in comics is the best trade paperback, hardcover, or original graphic novel collection. And we had a lot of really good. Uh, nominees here uh john your number one nominee was the wake complete um is that the scott scott snyder correct scott snyder uh miniseries the wake um have any of you read that no i no. read the first issue but i hadn't gone beyond that it's um it's pretty cool without getting too uh in deep about it it's a tw- it's a 12 issue miniseries uh the first six issues takes place you know at i'd say modern day um something really bad happens and starting so that it the first six issues tell that story issue seven jumps like 200 years into the future and you deal with the aftermath of that event and how it like and change how it changed the entire world and what the world is like now wow um and then Scott Snyder pulls it all back together at the end. It's a really interesting. I, I, the funny part about it is, I read it in you know not one sitting, but I read it, it. It was completed when I read it. I don't know if it would how it would play month to month in that format, but getting to sit down and read it in one book and see it jump time and then get tied back together at the end, it was very satisfying. Um, I, I definitely recommend The Wake for anybody that's looking for something a, a little different, you know, out of the superhero uh, realm. Sweet. We had a lot of other good nominees in this category. Um, the aforementioned Hip Hop Family Tree. Um, Dave Wachter's uh, Guns of Shadow Valley hardcover that came out with the uh, the Kickstarter. Just a beautiful, beautiful book. 
Russ talked a little bit about the IDW Artist Edition Marvel covers on our uh, Christmas show, if you want to hear about that. Uh, All Out Wars, another nominee, the Chew Omnivore Edition, uh, Lock and Key, Alpha Omega. Uh, but our number one choice in the best trade paperback hardcore, uh, hardcover or, or original graphic novel collection is the 75th Anniversary Masterworks Slipcase Set. Uh, if you're not sure what this is, uh, it was something else we, we talked about a little bit on our, our Christmas show. It's uh, 12 Marvel wa- Masterworks. Uh, 11. Hard- oh, I thought it was 12 with the Not Brand Eck. No, it's 10 with the Not Brand Eck. Oh, okay. It's a 10 Marvel Masterworks edition hardcovers of, of basically the origins of the Marvel Universe. Like the first, you know, 10 or so issues of, you know, Amazing Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, etc. And uh, also for the first time uh, in hardcover Not Brand Eck which was their satire comic back in the day. And uh, it's all, all these uh, beautiful volumes are encased in a, uh, a slip case that looks like the Avengers Mansion from Silver Age. It's, uh, it's a pretty sweet set. I mean, it's, it's basically the foundation for the entire Marvel Universe in, in a box. So, although I gotta say, Russ, you're, you're tashing Marvel 75th anniversary. It's definitely uh, worthy it, of, of of almost winning this because it is a mighty, so awesome. mighty tome. Oh, it's so awesome! Mighty, I, mighty tome indeed. Yeah, I'm. Once I get settled into my new place after after the move, that that's one of the things. Um, as I kick back in my recliner, that I really want to be able to to dive into is uh, is that book because it's just so. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. I plan on on actually picking that up too after hearing you talk about it on the Christmas show, and then uh, loot crate this month. I just got my loot crate, and there was a discussion with Stan Lee about that collection, and as he described things in it, it's like I, I have to have this. I must get it. So awesome sauce. Well, uh, that concludes the first half of our comics festivities. I'm gonna pass the baton. Uh, to my good friend and compatriot, Mr. Russell Latham, to, to take us to the next uh, few comics categories. Yeah, so we'll finish out comics here. Uh, the first group that I have is Best Writer, um, and a lot of uh, a lot of different choices on here. Uh, some of these categories in the comic side uh, were really hard to nail down a true top three because our reading uh, habits have become so diverse uh, that it wasn't quite so easy, you know, especially on the on the OGN side and on the single issue side because all were reading. So it was nice when we got to the next batch of categories here. The the winners uh, and and the ordering was a lot more clear cut. Um, so on the best writer side, um, before we get into our top three, um, uh, Jim, you and Richard both had. Uh, Brian Azzarello, and I'm assuming it's for his his work on Wonder Woman. Was there anything else that you had Azzarello down, or was it pretty much just that Wonder Woman run? That Wonder Woman. Yeah, I, I agree with Rich. As far as what I had it now for his Wonder Woman run, I kind of thought it was underappreciated, underrated. Not, not as many people read it as they should have. I thought it was one of the best runs of Wonder Woman I've read since George Perez. I agree. Nice. And Jordan, you had Nick Spencer. Yeah, Nick Spencer kind of came out of nowhere for me this year. Or I, I think that at least. Maybe I was reading his stuff before that and I don't remember. But um, his work on Avengers World with Hickman was a lot of fun. Um, and then really the book, which I'll probably talk about later some more, but uh, Superior Foes of Spider-Man yeah, just came excellent. out of nowhere. 
Almost nobody read it, which is a shame, but it was one of the best books on the shelves, bar none. It was hilarious, it was heartfelt, and it looked it gave you a look at a bunch of characters that nobody cares about, for the most part, and made them all awesomely terrible in their own way. <laughs> and it had one of the best last issues of a series I've ever read. Oh, no kidding. The, that last, was the way they closed out the story, I hate it when a book gets canceled and it just left, all the, all the storylines are left hanging and everything. The way they closed the storyline off in the last issue of this series was just just perfect, just great. I loved it. Agreed, absolutely. Well, our third place for best writer in comics goes to Mr. Dan Slott, which, uh, again, we've been singing praises of uh, Superior Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, Spider-Verse, pretty much everything Spider-related for quite some time. I know, I know when... When our Comics BS episodes for LOD were a little more frequent than they were, uh, Jordan had his own segment set aside uh, that was pretty much a love letter <laughs> to Dan Slott. Um, <laughs> but, you know, again, the guy just continues to uh, knock it out of the park. I mean, as, as we talk about um, our, our, our other uh, placeholders in this category i think dan slot is going to definitely go down as one of the greats uh, uh for his run on spider-man absolutely Just, you know. and 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 you're as much as i love him with the spider-man stuff you're you're leaving out the work he's doing on silver surfer um oh which has been so fun and another thing as far as writing even though it doesn't really count is follow him on twitter uh great stuff especially if you're a doctor who fan um he's probably got to be one of the biggest doctor who fans on the planet and if you've read the silver surfer run he's doing you can definitely see the uh inspiration that comes from doctor who in in his writing so yeah he Dan Slott, I mean, he pretty much could write a takeout menu, and I'm going to pick it up. (laughs) I mean, really, the thing that stands out to me for him, I mean, he's not my favorite writer of all time. You know, he's not writing a Hickman story. He's not writing, you know, a Dan Abnett and Annie Lanning story. What he does is he takes outlandish B-plots, B-stories that you'd see in a B-movie or a B-comic somewhere, and he makes them fun, and he makes you care about them. Anything he's pretty much written in the last five years on Spider-Man, you could point out and go, well, that seems like a dumb idea, and it probably is, but guess what? You're going to have a lot of fun reading it. And I really love yeah, that. Yeah, because I will tell you, when the whole thing with Doc Ock came up and the, the Peter Park stuff, I was like, this is going <laughs> to be ridiculous. I just couldn't even believe that the Marvel was going there. And not only was it good, it probably was just one of the most masterfully written Spider-Man stories in a long time. Amen. Well, second place uh, writer of the year, once again, is Rick Remender. And, uh, you know, obviously you've heard us so far sing his praises on Black Science, uh, Uncanny Avengers, um, and his Captain America run, whether you may or may not have, have liked that. Um, but again, I, th- I think Remender is, is definitely just one of those uh, LOD, you know, favorites of ours um, and continues to just, you know, do solid work year in, year out. And I would like to throw low into that list for this year. Ah. Which is a comic that uh, is a little bit more unheard of, but uh, an excellent comic nonetheless. Nice. I've not read that, but I, but I hear uh, I hear good things about it. I just haven't haven't picked it up. Um, and our first place uh, winner for 
best writer in comics is once again Jonathan Hickman. No surprise. Um, you know, between East of West, um, between Avengers, New Avengers, you know, kind of being that uh, puppet master for the Avengers title, um, Manhattan Projects. I mean, the guy is just on fire. Uh, you know, he he's he's I think he's been in our top three. Um, at least for the past four or five years that we've been doing uh, the duties. And and once again, he is our top writer of the year. I would like to just add, I don't, I don't want to throw this off track, but uh, when we started seven years ago, uh, Hickman was beginning to make his ascension up the ranks. But the guy, that the guy at that time was Bendis. Yes, who I do not see on anyone's list for anything. Um, and I actually, I think Jordan might hate him. <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to say I hate him. I have went from a person reading his Guardians run who went, come on, guys, calm down. It's not that bad. Is it not as good? Is it not as good as the DNA run? Sure. But not, no, nothing could be to a guy who is just about ready to drop it because it's gone from okay but forgettable to really just terrible <laughs> in in very short order and and it's a shame because I don't hate the guy I know some people really don't like his writing style but it's just his complete disregard for continuity and and to a point where it just becomes confusing how much it disregards continuity um it's it's just it's sad I I want to like this book but I I really have to struggle to even find anything from issue to issue to keep me going and it's not just, just the yeah, Powers is good. But, you know, I, I agree with you on as far as his writing style. I've been a fan of his writing style. And, and I agree about the whole continuity and how he ignores it. My thing right now with him is he's become stale. And as much as his writing style used to have a real good novelty to it, he needs to do something fresh. It's it's kind of the same beat as it always has been. He needs to change it up. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because even when I think even when Bendis' star was on the rise, we never there was a, there always seemed to seem like there was a batch of art of writers that were higher. I mean, we've all had them on our lists, I think, at one point or another, especially in the early years um, towards the bottom. But to me, he's never just been that that top notch writer, even when it, I like his stuff. I almost like he almost has like that Jeff Johns syndrome, you know, for when we first started the podcast, like Jeff Johns was it. And. You know, he won the duties in this category, I think, for the first couple years, uh, if not the first three years. And, uh, you know, he's he's not even on this list. And I think it's just one of those deals where we've all kind of gotten accustomed to it's like, oh, yeah, this is his formula. This is the way he writes. Well, that's um, also because he's shifted his brilliance into a certain television show on Tuesday night. Yeah, he's he's way more involved in the in the non-comic side of 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 things than on the comic side of things. Next category is Best Artist. Um, and again, a lot of consensus here um, across the top. Um, John, you had uh, Michael Del Mundo uh, on your list. Um, and I'm assuming, again, for Electra, you know, like, yes. like we discussed earlier. Correct. That, that was uh, amazing. I mean, the whole thing is amazing, but the issue one just blew me away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jim, you've listed as your number one uh, Francesco Francavia. Yeah, for the Black Beetle Necrologue, uh, I love his work. Plus, he's done a couple of posters for Mondo this year. 
uh, including one for Friday the 13th that I really loved. Uh, definitely just, I just, something about his art just really speaks to me. There are just certain artists that just really, really, you know, get me, or they really, you know, connect with me, and, and he happens to be one. Nice. And Richard, you had Babs Tar, and I don't think I, I'm maybe when you enlighten me a little bit, I'll I'll something will, will shake free. But I'm her, doesn't ring a bell off. Her yet. work it is relatively new to the scene. Um, when Batgirl number thirty five came out with the redo of her look and everything about the design of the book, um, I absolutely love it. Um, it it has more of a playful quality to it. It doesn't quite take itself as seriously as as the prior Batgirl look. And I, I don't know, because, I mean, she's more of the uh, college girl in this run than any run before. And I don't know, it just kind of plays with that theme and just her art. It, I mean, it's just really, really good. Nice. Well, our third place winner for Best Artist is Cliff Chang. And again, uh, Richard, you and Jim both had this on here. And again, I'm assuming uh, for his work with uh, Brian Azzarello on Wonder Woman. Absolutely. Which definitely solid. I know that book has taken a lot of flack since those two have left. Um, There's a lot of folks that aren't quite as happy with it as they were when when that team was on there. Yeah, I'm one of those. Um, It definitely does not live up to its prior um and i mean the thing with chang is just his art i mean it was in 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 parts of it it was kind of rudimentary in a way but the brilliance would just come through there the way that he would panel out the page just everything about it um i loved there was a couple of issues where there was a fill-in artist and uh, those were the issues that just didn't look quite as good nice second place uh, goes to Matteo Scalera again for his work on Black Science, which I think we've we've sang the praises of both Matteo Scalera and and Black Science at this point quite a bit. Um, and again, I I also had Dean White on my on my list a little further down, um, but I think there's just something about that team uh, that you know if you put another colorist on that book, and I don't think it pops quite as much as it does um, with. Uh, uh, with with you uh, with another with an, either another colorist or another uh, penciler, um, and uh, first place again. I think this is I think this is um, well last year it, it wasn't, but uh, she always seems to uh, to to be at the top of the uh, towards the top of the list is Fiona Staples for her work on Saga, which again I didn't have her on my list. She's not really my cup of tea. I I think she's okay. Um, but, but definitely not a top tier artist for me. I know, uh, John, you, you had her up, up top on your list. Yeah. For the work on Saga. Saga is a, a beautiful book. I, I love, uh, I think the style fits the storytelling so well, that whole fantasy, you know, space opera element. I think it's great. I also have her on the top for mine. And, and the thing that, the thing that really sticks out besides the fact that the art is beautiful, um, is this is such a weird world that they've created in Saga. And as much as, you know, BKV has to sell that in his writing, she has to sell it so much more in her art. She's got to sell these robots with television heads who have human anatomy 
and weird creatures and ghost girls that have their intestines hanging out and some of the gross and hilarious and uh, titillating images you'll see throughout these books and make them all fit in this weird, weird world. And for me, that's really what puts her at the top is just that cohesiveness to the strangeness. They could not letter this book and have the story at all and I would pick it up just to flip through the pages of her art. It's that good. Amen. Well, congratulations, Fiona Staples. Uh, so now, the next category, uh, since I jumped ahead earlier, is Hero or Hero Team of the Year. And again, uh, the comic-centric category, but a lot of times things outside the comic world influence our decisions on this category, whether it's movies or TV shows or... Uh, you know, just some goings on that don't necessarily tie into the comics. Um, and uh, a few, we had a few, few outliers uh, here. Um, Richard, you had Forever Carlisle. Again, we talked about uh, Lazarus earlier, so that she definitely fits in, in with that. Yep. Um, Jim, you had Kanan from Star Wars Rebels, which is the new... Uh, the new animated series that is on Disney XD. I'm loving that show. It has that old school Star Wars feel, and um, I'm, I'm it's like it's one of my favorite shows in the new season. I, as a Star Wars fan, it gives me a, a new hope <laughs> <laughs> for the franchise. But uh, yeah, everybody can beat me up later for that one. But uh, I think Freddie Prince Jr. is really good in that role. It's almost kind of like uh, Captain Mal if he were a Jedi. Sure. You know, he's kind of like a Jedi on the on the edge of the Jedi code, and uh, you know he keeps his lightsaber locked away. He doesn't really like after Order sixty six, and uh, it just has the old school Star Wars feel that I love, and uh, I think he's a really cool character in it. And uh, John, real quick, you had Deathlock. So is that pretty much is that a combination of the TV show, his appearance on Agents of Shield, and the comic, or is it or is it more weighted on the comic side? Um, it's it's the combination. I think Deathlock had a good year. He was uh, mm-hmm. he was brought into a major television show and 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 was a pretty uh, regular part of it for for a number of episodes. And uh, he did he got a relaunch of a comic, and it's really smart. Um, I guess I didn't talk to get to talk too much about Deathlock in the um, comics categories, but uh, the relaunch is really good. It's kind of a Manchurian Candidate spin. Um, he doesn't know the missions that he's going on. And um, it's a lot of fun. So between those two, yeah, I I gave him some props. Cool. Well, our third place entry, and this this was a little bit of a of of a of a kludge just based on the entries that we have, but it kind of fit closest. Um, And that's the Agents of Shield. Uh, I I think um, right around the beginning of the year, slightly after when it hit that uh, that Captain America: The Winter Soldier stride at the end of season one. And the beginning of season two, uh, it's it's kind of been on a high point. Uh, it's about to get its own comic book um, uh, here, and uh, I, I I just think that you know the show in in an, in general is just kind of on an upbeat. So they they were our third place winners. Um, the second yeah, I mean, place, I didn't, I, I didn't vote for Agent. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just gonna say I didn't vote for Agent okay. Shield as as a show, but I did vote for Melinda May. Because uh, I'm yeah. now when it's just awesome on that show, and uh, I just think she's the best. But definitely correct. I think a lot of people had problems with the like the end of the first season, 
But I think the second season has really been an upswing for that show. Absolutely. See, and I, I stuck to just comics, or I would have had that on my list as well, which explains my top pick there, because that is not referring to the movie. Nice. Um, so the second place winner for Hero or Hero Team of the Year is The Flash. Uh, and I think universally we can agree, based on the TV show, which uh, I know for me personally has... Uh, is probably the biggest surprise of the year. I, you know, I, I thought, you know, based on Grant Gustin's appearance on uh, Arrow last year and some early promo stuff we were seeing, it was going to be good. But I don't think that I had any idea it would be as good as as it was. I know, John, you, you're, you're pretty high on The Flash. Jim, you're pretty high on The Flash, obviously, um, as well. Yeah, total surprise. And it's just. I, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Jim. I can't believe it's working. No, it's okay. I I just can't believe it's working. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I love it for so many reasons. I think some of the thing. I mean, we've talked about it on DC TV you know, podcast a lot, but um, the just that he enjoys being a hero. I mean, you have Arrow with so so much like that that Batman kind of dread, and you know, I must save my city and all that other kind of stuff. Even with all the terrible stuff that happens to Grant Gustin's Flash, he's still enjoying being a hero it's that kind of joy they kind of missed out in the spider-man movies you know sorry mark webb but um i i it's just a great you know, like and john makes a great point it, it it's incredible that it's working on on television and it's doing as well as it's doing i mean the flash is the most it's the highest rated show cw's ever had so um yeah i'm i'm really high on that show it's just really great every episode I, there's not been a clunker in the whole run so far for me and it's forcing arrow to take it up a notch so. and it got renewed for a second season just this week yep so. yeah but our winner for hero here team of the year which i think is no surprise to anybody uh is guardians of the galaxy and uh you know obviously a lot of that is the movie i i don't think too many of us are grooving necessarily on the comic um, but given what that what gave you that impression, Russ? <laughs> Some editorial your... notes that that Jordan left. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, four out of five of us had uh, Guardians of the Galaxy as our number one vote getter, and one of us had it as number two. Um, but Jordan, you 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 had it as number one. I mean, obviously, um, you you were, I guess, of all of us, probably the most optimistic that, um, or the, or the least worried that that Guardians was going to be the hit that it was. And man, it even blew my expectations out of the water. You know, this could have been a average movie and I would have loved it, but it was just awesome. And it got the tone of these characters correct. It got the tone of the universe correct. And even the things that it did that were different from the comic books, which were numerous. You know, this wasn't some slavish uh, recreation panel by panel, uh, you know, to screen. But the things that it did that are the same as the comics that got perfect the thing it changed it changed very very well and it just was a fun movie that got these characters right and put them on screen in a way that comic book fans like myself and and like you guys could really really enjoy it and people like my dad were my sisters who had no interest in seeing it until i forced them to they all loved it you know, this was a movie, this was really a four-quadrant movie, as they say. And for a movie with a, you know, ambulatory tree and a talking raccoon, that's saying something. It was yeah. the highest grossing domestic movie of the year, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yep. I mean, and I don't know if any, I mean, even, you know, our, the biggest boosters and least warriors uh, could have expected that. I mean, 
And and Jordan, you make an excellent point. It was the crossover appeal of this movie that made it, you know, the phenomenon that it was. I mean, people who had no idea who you know, second, you know, these C or D listers from the Marvel universe were, were going to the movie and enjoying it on its own terms because it was such a damn good movie. You know, mm-hmm. um, it just you know, hats off to James Gunn and, and the cast and and, and the, uh, the the. I mean, it's just so well pulled off. And like you said, is it the canon? You know, letter for letter, word for word, Guardians of the Galaxy from the comic. Heck no, but is it a hell of a lot of fun? Yes. And is it a hell of a lot closer to the canonical version than the Bendis version is? Yes. You better believe it. Yes, it is, (laughs) actually. (laughs) But so many good performances. What a great movie. And and just, you know, Marvel does it. Oh, Marvel, you've done it again. Uga Chaka. (laughs) Um, And so the last category that I have in the comics comics arena is is the the, uh, yin to the yang, the villain or the villain team of the year. Um, a lot of diverse entries uh, in this one. Um, Jordan, you had the Cabal, which uh, was kind of the the opposite of the Illuminati. Yeah, we had uh, this was a team that Namor put together after the heroes failed to save the world and were ready to let it just die because they weren't willing to do what had to be done. So he got together Thanos and a couple of Thanos's lieutenants and Maximus the Mad, and he said, "You know what?" If you guys aren't willing to re- to save the world, us villains will. will. And it, uh, it, I wouldn't say it went well for him, but at least the world's still here, and it was very interesting while it lasted. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jim, you had the Penguin from Gotham. I think Robin I think... Wood Taylor was doing an awesome job as Oswald Cobblepot. I thought if you yeah. told me that he would be one of the most interesting characters on the show before I'd seen the show, I would have laughed in your face. And if you told me that uh, you know they could have actually written the Penguin to be someone as menacing and as scary as he's portrayed on the show, I would have laughed again. Uh, kudos to uh, to Gotham for making the Penguin an actual threat. And you know, we're gonna I'm gonna be saying this again when we talk about our number two choice here too, because talk about you know a character that you wouldn't think would be scary and threatening. But sure. we'll get to that. Uh, but our third place winner uh, was Koba, the uh, the. Uh... I guess villain, the uh, antagonist from Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and John, you had you had that one pretty high on your list. It's just the you know the motion capture and the and the I, I don't even want to call it voice acting. He doesn't speak too much. That's the other big point to be such a powerful villain, you know, through some hand gestures and um, you know limited speech. I just thought it was awesome, and and we're gonna go off on the Planet of the Apes movie uh, later on, but. Yeah, I, I, Koba's awesome. I hope he's not dead. <laughs> Spoiler. Um, indeed. Uh, so our second place entry uh, for villain, villain team of the year, is the reverse Flash. Uh, and again, Jim, like you alluded to, something that you know we wouldn't have thought uh, going into this uh, this season of the Flash, but uh, he's turned into quite the menace. They made Captain Boomerang and the reverse Flash badasses. So yes. anybody who can do that deserves my, my respect. I mean, yeah. the reverse flash in the show is just, he's creepy. He's stronger than Barry. He's faster than Barry. He's not, um, he's, you know, Barry's hopelessly outmatched and uh, just really threatening and really well, well realized. And, uh, you know, one of the, one of the goofiest looking costumes in comics um, made, made to look like threatening and cool. Just hats off. Just great, great villain. And of course, the number one pick, which I don't think would be a surprise to anybody, uh, is Hydra. Uh, between Captain America: The Winter Soldier, between Agents of Shield, 
between random people that don't like geeky things saying Hail Hydra and hearing references to Hydra everywhere, uh, I think it's easy to show how Hydra definitely won that category this year. And it sounds like they just uh, took that momentum and injected it into the comics. Yes, yes. Um, I think it, I guess it's the new Captain America number two where there's a reveal that uh, yes Hydra has has performed a similar infiltration of every organization, much like you know in the movies and television. It has happened in the comics as well. And they kind of did that um, in the Shield. Wasn't it in Hickman Shield comic? Or, or, uh, Secret, uh, Warriors? Secret Warriors. Yeah, Secret and Warriors. also, yeah. wasn't yeah. like uh, back in the day, uh, Nick Fury versus Shield? Wasn't there some of that as well? Yes. And this isn't exactly a new concept, but they no, they, they do it no, in interesting not, new ways but, every time. Yeah. And and you're right. It, it got pr- pretty pervasive in the culture, even when um, that Avengers Age of Ultron trailer got leaked out. The the Twitter response from Marvel was, "Damn it, Hydra." Yeah, you know, it yeah. Was, uh, so I mean, it, it got ubiquitous. You know, it was everywhere. Yep, yep. So again, no surprise that Hydra was our villain or villain team in this case of the year. Um, and with that, I will hand it over to Mister from Jersey, who will take us through our media categories. Thank you very much, uh, much Russ. Yes, uh, into media now. Our first category is best TV series drama slash action. And, uh, John, you voted for The Strain. What was it about The Strain that you loved? It's just bug nuts crazy. (laughs) It's so much fun, and you can almost see the actors winking at you from behind their terrible wigs. You know, it's... But it it was so much fun, and, you know... I can't. I'm at a loss for words. I can't. I almost feel dumb for liking it, but I would not miss an episode. I watched it live, which I don't watch anything live uh, anymore. But you know, I just thought it delivered week to week. It gave you enough twists in the plot. Um, I, I had read the novel way back when. I don't remember how closely it's following the novel. I don't know if I know they went to a comic as well. I don't know how they're sticking to either of those storylines, but. Uh, it's just a lot of fun. That's all I can say. I mean, I was never, I, you know, you don't even roll your eyes at it. You just kind of buy in, and uh, and it was good. They had me at Nazi vampires. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nazi vampires and, you know, de- more decapitations than, you know, Spartacus. <laughs> uh, Jim and Russ, you both have the Americans on your list. Russ, what was it about the Americans, and what is it now, season two or three, that's uh, really got you hooked? Uh, season three will be starting here in a few weeks. Uh, it's it takes place in the '80s, so you know, check. Um, it it deals with uh real history. I say real in quotes, but real events that are going on. Check. Um, and it's just it's it's just really good. It's on FX, so it's a lot more adult in nature. They're able to get away with you know a little bit more um language um. Uh, suggestive sexual content. Um, Carrie Russell looks awesome, uh, even hmm. even for a woman uh, at her stage. Um, phenomenal. Um, it, I love the the cat and mouse. I love the you know the disguises and the double triple crossing and always trying to figure out who's on the up and up and who's not and who's going to turn and who isn't. Um, and then you pepper in all these real live history things that are going on. Uh, and it's just, it's right in my wheelhouse. 
Yeah, it's just a great show, well-realized, well-written, and, and well-acted. Absolutely. Now, for our number three spot, uh, this was actually my number one pick, uh, and uh, Jim and John also voted for it, but it's the British show Utopia. I know why I voted for it. It's because it's awesome. But, uh, Jim, what about this show? Put it on your list. First of all, it's critical. Uh, it, it's criminal that we were only going to get two seasons because after the second season, they, they said it was going to be canceled. Because each season is only six uh, episodes long, but uh, it's like if if Quentin Tarantino and uh, and Guillermo del Toro and and Alan Moore had a baby, it would be Utopia. <laughs> uh, it's 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 just great great acting, great story, the kind of story that just kind of keeps you guessing to the point where you're kind of you know what's going on enough to be really hooked into the story, but you keep seeing bigger and bigger pieces of the the puzzle as it goes on. Um, I, I, the more I say about it, the more I would, would take away from it. I would just, I would look for it. It's available on DVD now. It's, it's hopefully will show up on Netflix or some other uh, streaming channel at some point. It is being remade for HBO with, by David Fincher's, uh, production company, according to Wikipedia. So, um, hopefully we'll, you know, must be true. <laughs> yeah. If it's on Wikipedia, you gotta believe that. Right. So, I mean, yeah, just like you said, it, it was awesome. It was just a great show. Um, Nothing like it, really. Just original. And I really, really appreciated that about it. In a way similar to Hickman's New Avenger run, one of the things I really love about Utopia is it gives you a very complex moral question and doesn't tell you which is the right thing and which is the wrong thing, but it provides a solution and asks you and the characters on the show to make up your own mind about it. And I love evil plans to save the world. I just, they, that ticks that box in my my fiction loving brain of just here's something maybe it's the most evil thing maybe it's the most brilliant thing but it's up to you to decide and that's that's really cool in there uh choice number two our our second place uh winner in best tv series drama slash action is game of thrones which is on pretty much everybody's list i'm gonna throw it over to rich though since you haven't said anything yet this category rich why is game of thrones your second place uh pick this year well because it's awesome I mean, there's no other way to describe it. I mean, you know, the, um, to have an epic in 10 episodes a year and for it to be as forefront in my mind and other people's minds, um, as it is all year round. Um, I mean, I, I avoided reading the books because of the TV show because I didn't want to spoil anything. Uh, now I'm reading the books as as we're now going into the fifth season um this season though this past year the trial of Tyrion, the uh entire trial by combat uh with the mountain um aria's storyline with the hound as they're traversing across westeros um every bit of it just great the whole thing with uh daenerys and freeing the slaves and crucifying the masters and just everything that she, the decisions that she would make and, and how she would just, um, command every scene that she was in. I, you know, I just brilliant. The, everything that happened at the wall. I mean, I could just go on and on, uh, but it, very, very well done show. Agree. Giants riding elephants. Yeah. <laughs> I believe they're mastodons, John. Come on now. Uh- Sorry. That's racist. 
Our number one series in best TV series drama slash action is a show I haven't watched a single episode of, but everybody else loves. So gentlemen, whoever wants to tell me why I'm wrong, why is The Flash your favorite drama slash action show on television this year? Because it's awesome. That seems to be the theme. I think we've said a bunch about it already um, on our little episode that we just put out recently, Russ and I. It just everything is working. So many things that other movies and TV shows have tried and failed to do. The Flash is doing right now, like real superhero costumes, not you know, darkened colors and latex, uh, you know, motorcycle suits. Real superhero costume. Multiple villains on an episode, and it's not you know, disjointed or watered down. It's it's really unbelievable. Like, special effects. We can go on and on for what this television show is accomplishing, and it's just amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, it's my, it was my number one pick for, for a drama and action uh, this this year. It's just a great, great show. And it's, it's probably, in my opinion, like probably the best realized superhero television show I can think of, um, other than probably the Batman animated series or something along those lines. One of the things, Jordan, I want to shout out real quick, and this is something, as two two of our more popular shows on the network, um, The Walking Dead and um, now it's all connected, but previously the Shield TV podcast that have been going on for, for a while now, um, those two shows typically don't make these lists. Um, and it's not always because they're poor quality, it's just because there's so much really, really good, good TV out there. Um, and this is a year that for most of us, both of those shows have made our list. So while they didn't make the top three, um, they definitely were, were in the game this year, which I think speaks a lot to, um, to, to both of those shows. Yeah, definitely. This was a bit of a weird one to see uh, Walking Dead on, on a lot of the lists, higher up than it's been in previous years. And they really have stepped up their game, not to uh, jump out into shows that didn't make the top three. But, you know, they're really hitting a stride right now. Yeah. So you can listen to that show on this uh, same feed. Um, switching ticks a little bit to best TV series comedy slash animation. This this category is always a little sparse for us. We, we, it's very rare that all of us have all of our uh, all of our five choices filled in, but we we do have some solid contenders here this year. And coming in at number three is a show. It was actually the only comedy I put on my list. It's the only new show from the last couple years uh, in comedy that I've really picked up on, and that's Brooklyn Nine Nine. Um, I checked it out based on the talent involved but I didn't really have high hopes for it and boy has it exceeded my minimal expectations this show is just a ton of fun it took a few episodes to get going sort of like the office or parks and rec before before and it has some of the same people behind the scenes there but man the show has gotten good um uh Jim I know you also have it on your list so what about Brooklyn Nine-Nine spoke to you Oh man what doesn't it's it's like Barney Miller the next generation um <laughs> when I first when I first saw it I just thought it was going to be Andy Samberg mugging a lot for the camera and everything but it it has gone so far above, above and beyond that um uh, every every member of that cast is strong the stories are, are hilarious uh, it's just it's one you know pound for pound I, in my to my mind the funniest show on on, on TV and right Andre now. Brower is just a juggernaut on it you know, Andre so Brower good. is hilarious, and I've never thought of him as a comedic actor in my life. Here's, you know, uh, Frank Pendleton from Homicide, Life on the Street, one of the hardest-hitting, you know, police dramas ever put on TV, you know, playing these, this 
you know, a deadpan comedic role just so well. It's just great, great show, great writing, just all around good, good stuff. We actually had a tie for our first place. So technically, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is our third. And then tied for first place, we have two series, Star Wars Rebels and The Goldbergs. Now, uh, Rich, you have The Goldbergs as number one. So what is it about this 1980s sitcom uh, that you love? That's exactly it, 1980s. Um <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, the whole thing is, it's so funny. I was just thinking about this today is, you know, when we watched Back to the Future back then, and they, they put this time as just loving the 80s. And I, I always, as a kid, thought that was ridiculous. But now I totally see it because watching this television show, it's like reliving my childhood. I love I love Patton Oswalt narrating. Um, I love, uh, the, the actors, I mean, every, uh, what's his name? Jeff, um, Garland Garland. I mean, as the dad is just hilarious. I mean, reminds me so much of, of my uncle John. I mean, just the, the whole thing walking in immediately pants hit the floor, you know, hits the TV. I mean, just everything about it reminds me so much of my childhood. I like how each episode starts off with him narrating, saying it was December whatever, 1980-something, or no matter what, he never gives a specific year. Um, seeing them talk about E.T., you know, talk about Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, just everything that they would go through, it's like reliving my past. And it's funny to boot, and I even... One of the things I look forward to the most is to see Adam Goldberg, the real Adam Goldberg's video from that childhood at the end of every episode echoing what happened in that episode. So it's just, I think it's brilliantly done. And Russ, you have our tying top uh, series, Star Wars Rebels, as your number one pick. Um, What is it about? I mean, obviously you, you love Star Wars, and I think we all love Star Wars, but as a spiritual sequel, if you will, to uh, Star Wars, The Clone Wars, what about this new series has gripped you uh, this much right out the gate? Because it's, it's it's still in its infancy. Star Wars is back, baby. <laughs> I mean, it it, uh, it it just grabbed me right off. It, it feels like Star, Star Wars. It sounds like Star Wars. It looks like Star Wars. It's lived in like Star Wars. Uh, I, I like The Clone Wars quite a bit. I don't, as we talk about many times on the show, I don't have hate for the prequels. Um, I understand the criticisms. I get the criticisms. Um, but watching Star Wars Rebels, it just it just really feels like Star Wars. And uh, the more the show is on, the more I enjoy watching it. So, uh, y- you know, a- animation on on TV is kind of we, to, in my opinion, we've kind of hit a bit of a slide. You know, for a while we had some really, uh, you know, we had a lot of good superhero, you know, um you know, sci-fi-ish kind of kind of cartoons on for a while, and we, we seem to be, that seems to be going away. There's, there's a lot of, like, direct-to-video to stuff coming out. Um, but, yeah, it's just, it like I said, for every reason I listed, that that's why I love Star Wars Rebels. Rock on. Let's move on to our next category, favorite actor in TV. And, John, there's one actor you listed on your list that I want to call out, and that's uh, Kyle MacLachlan. Uh, I'm assuming you have him nominated for his work on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. this year, and not just yes. as... Uh, as expected uh, hype for uh, his return to Twin Peaks. But uh, what is it about his performance as, uh, let's just say, Cal uh, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that really has gripped you? Because for me, I was unsure at first, but he's really won me over recently as this character. You know, it's just, it's total believability in sort of like this impossible 
uh, situation to believe. You know, like he's he's totally crazy. He loves Sky, his daughter, more than anything, and hates instantly hates anybody that will stand in his way to being reunited with her. And and you just believe all of it. Um, you, I'm waiting for the transformation. You know, the Mister Hyde or the crazy uh inhuman you know transformation that he's gonna go because that's just what it's like oozing out of him like you know there's just some demon in there um and i have never watched twin peaks i don't get any of the references and jokes these guys make about him Damn good <laughs> i'm not interested in seeing the new one and i still <laughs> you know love this character I-, I gotta say his performance like like i said i was a little bit iffy at the beginning it was a little cartoony and a little weird for me but man by that mid-season finale his acting in that main scene he had between him uh, sky and him where he really just bared his soul man that was an excellent performance that was an excellent scene and an excellent performance from both of them but particularly him he sold that pathos so well and i'm excited to see what what they do with him uh, in the rest of the season and go out and watch twin peaks john come on get it together uh, Russ, you have Walton Goggins highlighted on your list. What about uh, Walton Goggins this year? Was awesome. So there was two bits of Walton Goggins awesome this year. Uh, <laughs> the first was was his portrayal of Boyd Crowder on Justified, which is a fantastic show that uh, is coming to its end on FX this season. So it, it starts in January, um, and it'll it'll play out its final thirteen episodes and. Boyd Crowder is just an amazing character. It's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit like his Shane Vendrell if you watch The Shield, but a lot more just evil, I would say, than, you know, than Shane. You know, Shane just kind of felt like he was, you know, wrong guy in the wrong place, kind of taking advantage of the situation. Um, and Boyd is just pretty, pretty, pretty cold and ruthless. Uh, but the other uh, bit of Walton Goggins' awesomeness that we got this year <laughs> was his reprisal of his role of Venus Van Damme um, in Sons of Anarchy, and brilliant. It's it's brilliant and and disturbing at the same time, just in how real uh, they make a man look with uh, with obviously makeup and a pair of fake boobs, but. Uh, he he played that that character. He played the hell out of that character, um, and it was pretty uh, it was pretty fascinating uh, just to see uh, the way he connected with. I won't I won't get into spoilers for the final season of Sons of Anarchy, but the way he connected with another character on that show, um, and and the moment that the two of them had in in one of the final episodes. But uh, the guys just got it, man. I mean, he. He just has a way of taking a quirky character uh, that could easily be a caricature or a complete buffoon and making it believable and real and uh, and just kind of putting his own twist on it. And it's not just that. The character that you won't name, I won't name either, but that was a character that a season or so ago I felt was like, okay, his time is up and yeah. he needs yeah. to go. Um Goggin's portrayal of Venus in this last season actually added layers to that other character so much that it, you know you really felt emotion for him. It was so good, so good. 
Our third place winner for favorite actor on television was Mr. Donald Logue. So, Jim, you have him high up on your list. What about Donald Logue's portrayal of uh, uh, what's the act? I can't Harvey remember Bullock. the name of this character. Of Harvey Bullock. Thank you. I almost wanted to say Harvey Dent, and that was going to be all wrong. Uh, what is it about his portrayal of Harvey Bullock on Gotham that you love? It is. I just I like him in general as an actor. He was great on Copper. He was uh, great on Terriers, which was like a, a short-lived show. He's mm-hmm. been, been in some movies and stuff. He, he's really selling Bullock to me in, in Gotham. Him and, and Ben McKenzie, the, the, the chemistry between the two of them working together as beat cops is really what is selling you know, the core of that show to me. And I think he's like really the unsung hero of that show. He really has a lot of that show on his shoulders and his character's shoulders because he's kind of... I mean, Gordon's our character, our point of view character, but you know, Donald Logue is like uh, Gotham personified as a person. You know, seen better days, corrupt to the core, because he has to do that to survive. Um, just really great performance, I think, in, in the show, and I, I really think he was well cast as Bullock, and I think he's really pulling it off well. Number two uh, for a favorite actor on TV was Martin Freeman uh, for his role on Fargo. And I got to say, that show really surprised me, uh, and especially his performance. I didn't know what to expect from it. Uh, I didn't know if it was in the same universe or if it was a remake or a requel or what the heck it was. But, man, right out of the gate, uh, he was selling that performance. It was great. Um, I'm excited for season two or whatever they do next for Fargo, but particularly his performance as this... Not really hero, but just guy who makes a lot of bad decisions was really, really fascinating, really fun. It was fun to see him stretch as an actor. I'm not just doing a a, uh, regional American accent, but really to see a different side from him. Uh, He's on a bunch of other people's lists as well. So if any of you want to add anything about his performance in Fargo, please go ahead. Like you said, just a big surprise, really. The The whole show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it's like kind of criminally underwatched too. Like a lot of, I think it's a lot, it was under a lot of people's radar because that was a really good, intense show. And Billy Bob Thornton was great in that too. Just like I don't know, just really good performances all around. Absolutely. But number one for our favorite actor in television is Matthew McConaughey uh, for his role in True Detective. And Rich, he's number one on your list. John, he's number one on your list. Russ, he's number one on your list. So why is Matthew McConaughey awesome? in uh, True Detective. All right, all right, all right. This is why, (laughs) is because there were times in that show that, I mean, I literally thought he's the culprit. Um, and, and he, his acting, the way he would just move in the scenes, the eye, the way he'd just look at the other characters in whatever scene it was, it just... He, there was mystery about him the whole way. I mean, like Woody Harrelson did a great performance as well, but I kind of had his character figured out pretty early on. Matthew McConaughey just, I mean, sold that that show to me. And I, you know, with them doing different actors, different story for this next season, I don't, I don't know that they can top it uh, with him, uh, with him not being part of it, because he really made that show kind of amazing you know most of the show oh i shouldn't say that some of the episodes pretty much entailed matthew mcconaughey sitting at a table you know drinking beer cutting beer cans fidgeting with cigarettes and and telling his side of the story and it was like i could not 
peel my eyes from the television. You know, he was just... Uh, yeah. People could call that show... You know, if we showed that television show to Brad, who I love dearly, <laughs> he would be like, what the hell are you guys even talking about? It's the most boring yeah. thing. And I can't even argue that it's, it is slow. It is a grind. That's probably the best way to describe the first season of... Uh, but that Bad grind Bad. makes it, it enjoyable. Grind. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I say this is, yeah, to me, this is Matthew McConaughey's performance of his career. Like, I have not seen him in anything better than the work he did on True Detective. I mean, and you know, he's gone from doing, you know, crazy romantic comedy goofball stuff to serious stuff. Now, I have not seen Dallas Buyers Club. Uh, I will caveat it with that. But even just like Interstellar, I, I've seen him do other things. And to me, I was just... Like to me, this category was a a utter no brainer. Um, nobody else came close. So let's stay on television and talk about our favorite actresses of TV. Uh, John, what about Natalie Dormer? Besides the fact that she's just cute as a button, uh, had you put her on your list? Well, well, that was it. <laughs> um, I just wanted to mention her. You know, she's awesome and hot, and I needed to mention that she needs to be Captain Marvel. I agree with you. I think she would be a great uh, Carol Danvers. I concur. And although this is not the right, and, and we saw her also in Mockingjay, which is not TV, and she really didn't have a big part. But she was but, good in the uh, limited role she had. She was good. She was good. I've enjoyed her stuff. I, I know she's been in other things. I had not seen her before Game of Thrones. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm did you not see uh, Tudors? I did not. see Oh, Tudors. you got it. She was so great. As Anne Boleyn, got that, that. I will put it on the list with um, what did you just tell me to watch? Uh, Twin Peaks yep. and uh, well, I got the wire out of the way at least, so <laughs> yeah. that's off the list. <laughs> that was a that's long your one. homework for next year's duties, right? Uh, coming in at number three is a person whose name does not ring a bell for me. It's Emily Bett Rickards, who is <clears> on uh, who's on Rich's list. Uh, I get the, I get the uh, feeling that she's on quite a few of Rich's lists. <laughs> <laughs> but she's on multiple. Some of list. them are stuck together. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she portrays the wonderful, the brilliant, the extremely hot, and 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 not only star of. Arrow and, and, and Flash fame, but of my nightly dreams, and that is Felicity Smoke, and she is smoking hot. That's, But it's not just that. Her character, I mean, take away the hotness, just she's kind of the glue that binds the team together on Arrow. Um, you know, anytime someone starts to kind of stray from the agenda of the team, she's there to to pull them back into the reality of the situation. Um, she's the unsung hero of Arrow. Jordan, I want to, I want to tell you this. I don't mean to tick anybody off because she's number one on my list because she's awesome to look at. Mostly it's the most ridiculous character you can imagine. Okay. <laughs> it's a, it's a smoking hot computer genius with the last name smoke. Right. <laughs> so not subtle but, at all. But much like most of the things that we've said about Arrow and Flash, it somehow it works. <laughs> Coming in at number two is Maisie Williams, uh, 
Arya Stark on Game of Thrones, who's actually number one on my list, uh, but she's on a number of other lists as well. Uh, Russ, why is she number one on your list? I think she's always number one on my list. Uh, <laughs> and deservedly so. Actually, she's on everybody's list this year. Yeah. Oh, that's right. She, her, her first name is spelled about seven different ways on the document I'm looking at, so that's why I keep overlooking it on some people's list. But yeah, you're right. She is on everybody's list. Uh, she. I just love the character of, of Arya Stark. I, I don't, I, I guess she wasn't on my list last year. I'll, I'll take that back. Um, but she, I, I just, I think that girl's the real deal. I, I think as she becomes an adult, I think this show is going to propel her into feature roles. I, I think she just has that talent. I mean, a lot of times, I mean, she started this, you know, we're, we're coming into the fifth season of Game of Thrones uh, in, I guess, probably uh, March-April time frame. Uh, and so I think she's around 16, 17 now. So she started the show, you know, 11, 12, depending on when they filmed it. Um, And to have just that raw talent. You know, a lot of times when they portray, you know, when they put kid actors in that, you know, 8 to 12 range, uh, they could be very wooden um, and they could feel like uh, they have to have their lines fed to them. Uh, and she just seems like one of those actresses that that just it comes naturally to to them. Um, and she just she she annihilates every scene she's in. Um, and this year, I think she just had um, a lot to do. Uh, you know, the, the 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 whole back and forth between her and the hound was just fantastic. Uh, and I just I, I, I just adore her. But coming in at number one of our favorite actresses on TV, and number one on Jim's list as well, so why don't you tell us about her, uh, Tatiana Maslany as just about everyone on Orphan Black. That's pretty much the reason. I mean, she plays all these different characters, plays scenes against herself. I think she was my number one last year, too, just because Orphan Black is it's, it's a fun show because it, it, it when you think you have a good grasp of where the show's going to go, it takes a, a left or a right turn in a direction you might not anticipate. And she's played so many different characters on this one show and, you know, playing scenes against herself and, and with herself. And I, I mean, I mean, no other female actress plays that many roles on any show. <laughs> so, and she does incredibly. I mean, she even played um, a, you know, transgendered clone uh, uh, last season. So, yeah. Um, I mean, she, incredibly, you know, she does. She does well, and, and the thing about it, too, is not last year, too. Give, give it up to her for number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she just not only plays the different characters. I mean, there are times that she's lost into that character. You, if it weren't for the fact that you just know it's her, you wouldn't know it's her. I mean, she plays those different characters to where you're rooting for the different ones. I mean, I, I, I've, she was number one on my list, too. And uh, just... I, I expect to see some pretty awesome stuff come from her in her future career. Our next category is Best DVD slash Best Blu-ray. Uh, John, what about the Ghostbusters 4K collection puts it on your list? You know, 4K has not excited me. It seems like the last ditch effort before there are no more discs in existence anymore. <laughs> um but this collection was a very nice, like, digi book, they call them. You know, it looks like a little book. It had some art pages. Um, opens up, and there's your discs for Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2. 
excellent quality transfers, the best these two movies have ever looked. And and one of the reasons that I put it on my list was because the price was outrageous. Like it's lower than twenty bucks. I got it at a point when it was like twelve dollars. They were giving away like an extra five bucks, you know, manufacturer's coupon or whatever. But for less than twenty bucks, you can get the two movies. Uh, a lot of people love Ghostbusters. A lot of people haven't even seen Ghostbusters two, um, and the qu- the video quality is excellent. And uh, it's a really good buy and a nice little package. And uh, so I wanted to mention that one. And Russ, what about the X Men Days of Future Past Ultimate Edition? Makes it so ultimate. Uh, the the cool thing is, so the Ultimate Edition has a 3D version. Uh, Best Buy did a little. Uh, special thing there that had a really cool slip cover of the Sentinels on it. Um, has a little booklet inside with uh, with some uh, uh, like design work on the different you know Sentinels like blueprint level stuff that was that was stuffed in there. Um, the transfer is excellent, um, top notch. Uh, matter of fact, I my daughter and I just watched the 3D version of it today, uh, and it's probably in my top. It's definitely in my top five like home 3D experiences on Blu-ray. It it really takes advantage. It was filmed in Blu-ray, um, and it really takes advantage of the 3D uh, to its full effect. There's a lot of really cool depth uh, perception stuff in there, especially when it's not even um, you know an in-your-face thing. You know where it's two people sitting at a table, um, and it really looks like you you get that sense of depth. So I think they just they just really did a good job with the transfer. Um, on the 3D, which sometimes can be a little hit or miss. Nice. Well, on to our top three. Coming in at number three is the Spartacus Complete Edition set, uh, which is on both Russ and John's list. Russ, you just talked. So, John, what about Spartacus the Complete uh, set there really uh, grabbed you? Well, this, I should have put Special Edition. It's a nice box set with all of the seasons of Spartacus, which is like an underrated action sort of guilty pleasure show, which was a lot of fun. Uh, the, the special edition had a really cool gladiator, like, I don't want to call it an action figure. It it was, it was more of, um, you know, like a model or a figurine that stood on top of the base and inside the base were all of the discs in the collection. Um, really cool, like shelf porn type thing. Um, the show's really good. Like every season, it, it never disappointed Spartacus. Blood, boobs, and, uh, blood. Uh, coming in at number two on four of our five lists is Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't know that there's really much left to say about Guardians of the Galaxy, and I know we'll be talking about it uh, much more as this, as this show goes on. But uh, yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy in at number two. If you haven't seen it already, if you're that person, uh, go out and see it, or you know, buy it now because the set's out. But coming in and the Steel Book. I'm sorry. Oh, you go were, ahead. The the Steel Book Best Buy edition that looked like the Walkman. Yes, that was very uh, nice. Was a very nice touch. That's why it was. I mean, it's a great transfer. It's a great movie. But the reason I put it up on this list was because of that special. I thing. wish I could have got that since it sold out to every Best Buy in Oklahoma City in the first 30 minutes it came out. Got to know people that know people. <laughs> Coming in at number one and number one on four out of five lists. Uh, spoilers minus the one list that's not on only because I didn't buy it. I don't buy a lot of physical media anymore. But it's Batman 66, the complete set. Uh, which I said is on all top spots of all of your lists. But, uh, Jim, I, I think you've been the one more than anyone. Everyone's been singing his praises, but you more than anyone has been. So why don't you tell our listeners once mm-hmm. again why it's awesome? 
Well, first of all, it's a, it's a property that hasn't been adapted to DVD or Blu-ray before because it was in legal uh, hell between Fox and Warner Brothers for, for decades. Uh, so the only way that you could have ever seen it up to this point were, you know, kind of crappy bootlegs, uh, you know, and kind of, you know, distributed in a shady way. Um, they, but beyond, I mean, beyond that, they restored um, every episode of this, this show uh, to really like crystal clarity. You can look at the comparison videos online and see the difference between the old and the new version. Um, I've been watching the uh, broadcast version with my daughter on MeTV on Saturday nights, it's part of their Saturday Night TV lineup, and to see that version, and then to see the version of the Blu-ray uh, set, it's just, you know, it's like watching two different shows, so they did a great restoration job on it. The set itself comes in really cool, like, you know, pop art packaging, uh, the, you know, that fits the, um, the style of the show, and it has a lot of extras and stuff. It's, I mean, they finally, they did it, now that it's finally come out on DVD and Blu-ray, they, they did it right. Hey everybody, John here, jumping in quick. Uh, we ran really long on this episode. It's around a three-hour show total, so we're going to stop here and end our part one. Please check back in about a week for part two and the rest of the duties where we'll finish up on video games, movies, and lots of other fun stuff. Thank you and good night. Good night.